everyone and welcome to the Arsenal way and yes we have another press box episode for you and it would not be right if Kaya Kainak wasn't with me. Kaya how are you mate? I'm very good mate with disappointing result on Thursday but I've recovered now thank you. Yeah I've recovered too I think we need to get over that we've got another big game on Monday but before we talk about that big game on Monday I think we're recording an episode on a Saturday and of course we just watched West Ham beat Chelsea now West Ham are our top four rivals currently Kaya now how much will that have an effect on the Arsenal players going into the game against Everton on Monday? Will we be yeah. more determined or will we be like, oh, no, we can't get top four now? I think it's a, it's a bit too early in the season to be, I guess, paying too much attention to other people's results. I think maybe after Christmas you can start sort of thinking, oh, great, West Ham dropped points or West Ham didn't. It was a weird position where you're sort of wanting Chelsea to win the game, watching it from an Arsenal perspective. But I don't think it will impact it too much. I think Arsenal will know now that they can't really afford to slip up against Everton. They, they knew that anyway, but... This is just extra motivation, like you were saying. I, I think, what's the gap now? Is it five five points or four points or something like that? So Arsenal can't go above West Ham. I mean, they had the chance to do it against Man United on Thursday, and I think it was a golden opportunity to go above West Ham and really put the pressure on. But um, they didn't take it. And West Ham looked like a really good side. The way they play, it's just, it's so, it's 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 not particularly intricate, but it's, it's, it's really effective. The way they just... It's. I don't want to be disrespectful to it, but it's. it's yeah, it's, it's very difficult to deal with. So they're very consistent. Um, everyone's been saying they're going to fall away. It's not happened yet. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, they, they seem to be, along with Manchester United and Spurs, the, the main rivals for that final top four spot. Yeah, definitely. They've beaten Manchester City, Liverpool and Manchester United and Chelsea now this season. So it is, they're not, they are there to stay. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a fluke and we definitely are going to have to compete with Stan for the rest of the season, I would say. But, Going into the game against Everton, now it's a get it's a ground we struggled that we haven't won there since 2017. But with the recent turmoil at the club, there's going to be planned protests in the 27th minute where fans are going to walk out. Kaya, can Arsenal use this to their advantage to maybe get a win where we don't usually get a victory there? Yeah, I think they can. I think um Everton have made a lot of weird decisions. Um, I think since Farhad Mashiri took charge, um, they spent loads of money at the start. Spent hardly any money this summer, appointed a former Liverpool manager and who, I mean, yeah, he's not doing too well at the minute. I think they've only won, I don't think they've won in their last eight games, actually. So they're a very beatable team, but it would just be like Arsenal to go and give them their first win in front of the um, in front of the sort of dissenting Everton supporters. I, I think Arsenal will go into it knowing that they can win and if they play their game um, the way they've done in pretty much every match except for Man United, they should be all right. Um, I... The protests, I don't know if it will, it will have too much of an impact on the Everton players. I think they'll probably know how poor they've been um, recently. I don't think it will impact Rafa Benitez. If you look at him when he was at Chelsea, he dealt with a lot worse than sort of people booing after the 27th minute. They were booing him literally from the second he walked out onto the touchline as Chelsea manager. So he's used to that. He's used to dissenting fans at Newcastle as well, although that wasn't actually at him. But I don't think it will affect him too much. I think, if anything, it might encourage him to perform better. But yeah, it's, it's definitely an interesting element to the game. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing those protests uh, when I go on Monday night. Yeah, same. It'll be interesting to see. Now, it seems like every time Arsenal play against a team, they have a managerial situation going on, of course. They came up against, came up against Newcastle, Eddie Howe's first game, Manchester United, Michael Carrick's last game. Now, Rafa Benitez, it could be his last game as Everton manager. Just how, how much an effect would that have on the performance? Do you think Everton will come out guns blazing to protect Rafa Benitez, which could also hinder Arsenal's performance? Or should Arsenal look at it in a positive light and look to just kill Rafa Benitez's time as yeah. a team? The Everton board gave him sort of the dreaded vote of confidence this week, didn't they? They came out and said, mm. look, he's our man. We all know in football that doesn't really mean that much. Um, I don't know if it will, again, I don't know if it will affect Arsenal too much. I think definitely 
it'll be a good sign as to whether these Everton players are actually playing for Benitez because they'll know now how much pressure he's under. I think if they don't perform for him, then it's going to be very difficult for him to find a leg to stand on in terms of arguing that he hasn't lost the dressing room. I don't think too many of the players... I watched the game against Liverpool on uh, Wednesday. They actually weren't too bad, but I think a lot of players, you could definitely accuse them of maybe not applying themselves as well as they maybe could have done. Um, so, yeah, I think it'll be an interesting thing to see. I think Arsenal will definitely think this is an Everton side there for the taking. There's there's definitely three points available if they if they go there, play as well as we know they can do. Um, I don't think Everton have much in attack. Damari Gray has obviously been fantastic, but beyond that, you're not really looking at much. I think um, I think Calvert-Lewin, who we're going to talk about in a second, is is out. Um, Rondon might be out too. So in terms of strikers, they've not got a lot. It's going to be yeah, it's going to be difficult for them. And I think Arsenal are defensively strong, and if they go there and play, like I said, three four times now, if they play the way they can and don't commit any individual errors or mistakes, then um, they should come away with three points. Yeah, I agree. I agree with you there completely. I think we've gone to Anfield, we've lost. We've gone to Old Trafford, we've lost. And I think Goodison Park is in that bracket of tough stadiums to go to. I think if you add Stamford Bridge to that, it's then Goodison Park. Goodison Park's the next next stadium after that. So I think with Everton's situation, we should use that as an advantage and really take advantage of that and try to improve our form in each stage. And I think that would be a good place to go and hopefully get a win. Um, and I just want to talk about our starting lineup for that game, Kyle. Now, of course, we went to Old Trafford. We started Thomas Party. Now, he has struggled that against United and he has struggled in the game against Liverpool. Against Everton, Kyle, would you start him and what does he need to do? Why is he performing so bad at the moment? It's one of them where I think if Arsenal had better midfield options, they might look to, to drop Thomas Partey, but they don't. Um, Mohamed Elneny started on Thursday. In my opinion, I think that was a really poor decision for Mikel Arteta. I don't see what the point of that was. I asked him about it after the game. He said that Elneny had played well there last year and he also wanted to reward him for being good in training. I didn't quite buy that explanation. It felt more like a cautious selection for me. Um, I think Albert Samuel Lekong has been pretty good and I like Ainsley Mittenars. I think he's been pretty good. But with no Granite Jacker available, you can't really drop Thomas Partey right now. If you drop him, Arsenal do lose a lot of quality in that central midfield position. So he'll play. Um, whether he should play on form, different question, but he will play. I think... He looks to me like a player who's really down on confidence at the minute. And at Old Trafford, he was really sort of beating himself up for missing passes. And I sort of found the fact that he came out for the interview after the game a bit of potentially a turning point. So he seems to recognise that things aren't going well and he seems to have accepted that. And psychologically, that feels like potentially a turning point for him because we all know the quality he's got if he can keep fit and if he can keep mentally sharp as well. He's, he's the best midfielder Arsenal have by far. So... If he's available to sort of play at his best, then I would really hope to see him doing exactly that. And I think, yeah, there's every chance that he could bounce back on Monday just from those words he said after that Manchester United game. Absolutely. But what like, what do you think it is about Thomas Partey? Why isn't he? Is it, is it his fault? Is it because it's simply his form isn't good enough? Is he not able to adapt to the Premier League pace? Is it his midfield, his midfield partners are not good enough? What would you say is the main sticking point for this reason for his turning form? Well, I've, I've written a piece on it, so I'll give that a little shameless plug. Uh, if anyone wants to go check that out, it's a big, big old long read on why I think Thomas Partey is struggling at the minute. But um, it's a mixture of everything, really. So obviously, Arsenal have changed style quite a lot this season. Tactically, they've gone from the 4-3-3 to the 4-4-2 to the 4-2-3-1. And I imagine that sort of unsettling nature in the midfield, Thomas Partey being asked to play the lone midfield, sole pivot, and then in a two, and then with a midfield at number 10 in front of him, it's all maybe a little bit, difficult to get a rhythm going when your manager's constantly changing the midfield, just the way they set up the dynamics, even though sort of a lot of it's pretty similar, his role. And I'd argue that a player of his quality should be able to, to handle that. But fitness is a big thing. Obviously, he was looking good in pre-season and then Loftus-Cheek uh, did that horrendous tackle in a pre-season game. And 
he was ruled out for a month. We've not really seen the best of him since, I don't think. He's not really had much of a chance to get going. He obviously had that groin injury before the international break ahead of the Watford game. So that is another thing. I think, yeah, like we said, teammates as well. So Elneny playing, um, I don't think, I think that meant that Man United were able to target him on Thursday in a way that they sort of let Elneny have the ball. He had, Elneny had more passes than anyone else. I think he nearly had double the number of passes as Thomas Partey in the game. So, I mean, that's a, that's a sign of sort of how much Man United were willing to let him have the ball. So a mixture of things, but um, I think they're all solvable things. I think they're all things that can be fixed. I don't think there's anything long-term or necessarily fatal or terminal for Thomas Partey's Arsenal career. I really think it can be resurrected. I just think it's hopefully a matter of time. With all these games coming up, hopefully he'll be able to play his way into form. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Partey has, he has been, the pressure has been on him to be the midfield focal point for us this season. I think that's affected him. I think with Granite Shaka back in the side, when he comes back from injury, that will help. We saw, I think Thomas Partey was at his best at Aleko Madrid when he had other Coco with him, Salon against just a top class midfielder just to support him rather than putting so much pressure on Thomas Partey. And you mentioned Mohamed Elneny was, people were saying Elneny played better than Partey in the Manchester United game, but that is because Elneny was afforded so much space and able to pass the ball, able to show his ability, whereas Partey was pressured as soon as he got the ball. And there was, was a reason for that. Now, I just want to talk on another player, Kai, who's faced scrutiny uh, during the Manchester United game, and that was Martin Erdegaard. Now, of course, in the Newcastle game, he was, I think he was highly scapegoated, but then he, he scored the goal against Ultra, against Manchester United at Old Trafford. People were thinking, yes, finally, Erdegaard's here. But then, of course, a few minutes later, he gives away the penalty. Now, what does this mean for Erdegaard? Should he start against Everton? Is a scapegoat? Is, is, he, is it fair to scapegoat him? Is it too much of criticism? So I, I think for Everton, the way they're probably going to play against Arsenal is relatively defensive just because the way Rafa Benitez likes to set his teams up. So I would say Odegaard is the player for that. And if you're looking at who you replace him with, you bring in Lacazette. I don't think he was particularly good on Thursday and I don't think he was particularly good um, at Liverpool. Um, so I, I don't think on form that he deserves necessarily to be playing. There could be an argument that you could have Martinelli in alongside Aubameyang as sort of a two, but I don't think that would work personally. I think the players are too similar and I don't think there's enough sort of quality to get a foot on the ball and just hold it and look to break down the Everton defence. So for me, Odegaard would play. I really like Martin Odegaard. I've, I've read countless pieces on him in the summer. I've got lots of criticism for him. So I'm hoping he'll start to come good. We all know that he's not playing as well as he can. So I'd be lying if I said that it's gone as amazingly as we all hoped it would so far since he joined, um, permanently, of course. I think he's had things go against him. He's had injuries. He's had, um, obviously form formation changes again, all the same stuff as Partey. But, um, I think what we need to remember is he on Thursday, I think that was the kind of game where you'd expect him to do a lot better. But for me, it felt like he was really keen to impress and he just tried a little bit too hard. If that makes sense. I just think he was trying to do too much and always trying to do the, the sort of eye catching piece of skill or whatever, or you saw with that penalty, just like, putting in that extra tackle when he didn't need to. And I think if it was one of them where if he was just playing with a slightly cooler head, he'd had a bit more time in the team, maybe he would have been a bit more sensible in his decision-making. But um, I think he'll come good as well, as like I did with Thomas Partey. I think I think they're both fantastic players. And for me, I think Martin Odegaard will be really important um, against Everton. I think players like that are what Arsenal historically have been built around. And that's what Arsenal are trying to get back towards, I think, stylistically. So... Yeah, I think I'm, I'm a big fan of Erdogan. I don't know about uh, you, Bailey, but I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan. I'd, I'd love to see him starting on Monday and hopefully play very well. Yeah, same. I have faith in Erdogan. I think he showed his quality last year. He showed his quality for Real Sociedad and I think he needs to bring that to the Premier League. Just give him a little bit of time to adapt fully and he'll be great. I think the game against Everton is the reason why we signed him for games like that, just to 
break the defence because we were struggling to create chances and Erdegaard, he's brought into the squad to do that and I think he'll be able to do that and against Everton will be proof and he can finally uh, stop being so much scapegoated by Arsenal fans. <laughs> One final player who has been scrutinised by Arsenal is Pierre Aubameyang now against Manchester United. I think that was one of his worst performances I've seen personally in the Arsenal show. That is when, I think this is the first time I've really questioned Aubameyang's future for Arsenal and how he can be going forward. Just with Aubameyang and the striker situation, Kaya, just how significant was that poor performance by him? And what does that say for Arsenal going forward with the striker problem? I thought he was, yeah, I thought he was really poor. I'm, I'm, I'm normally one of the first people to stick up for Pierre Aubameyang. I think he's unlucky. I don't think... He's stylistically changed that much. I just think he's someone who is, um, I guess, suffering from the fact that Arsenal as a team don't really create that many chances. So um, he needs to be able to be a bit more sharp. But I think against Man United, he did get chances and he just wasn't really able to take them. And as the game wore on and Arsenal sort of started to sit a little bit deeper, particularly after that first goal, I thought he really sort of went out of the game. And if you look at how high Harry Maguire was when he was taking shots on the edge of the Arsenal box, that's the kind of space that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang should be thinking, right, that's me. That's where I'm going to go. He should be licking his lips thinking there's space in behind. I need to make those runs. And he never did. Gabriel Martinelli did and Martinelli played really well. So, um, yeah, I was really disappointed with Aubameyang on Thursday. And again, it's sort of, you look at squad depth, who's coming in to start ahead of him. Martinelli, I, I personally prefer him on the wings. Um, but now Saka's fit again and with Smith-Rowe scoring again, that'll be interesting to see whether he keeps his place. Um, you could play Martinelli up front. You could move Smith-Rowe into the number 10 role and play Mar uh, Martinelli on the left and have a Bamiang still there. I, I don't really know how it will work, but I think, yeah, Arsenal are having a bit of a problem with Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang now because it's sort of becoming like when they go to away stadiums, it's, it's, it's difficult to rely on him in the way that I think Arsenal could in the past. Um, Yes, he's obviously a fantastic goal scorer. And if asked, if he's not scoring, then maybe that suggests there's problems with the rest of the team in terms of chance creation. But if that's the case right now and you have to be realistic, it is, then I think you have to question um, what he's offering to the team. So he'll he'll start because he's the captain. He's the highest paid player. Um, he works really hard. He does all the things that Arteta seems to want. So he'll get his he'll get his minutes. But um, yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting sort of development to see whether he manages to up his form because Everton are a side who I think he is a player who could really take advantage of a lot of what they've got going on in defence and hopefully he'll be able to bounce back because there's a great player in there and yeah, we all, we all want to see a fit and fire in Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang so none of us want to see him playing the, the way he did on Thursday night. Yeah, we do love, we do all love Orba, we do. It's just his past performances just haven't been up to the standard we're used to for him. And I think if he's not scoring the goals, then he struggles to offer a lot more else. So he does really need to get on that score sheet again. But, Kyle, we have been linked with a player who does get around the pitch and is known for more than just scoring goals. And that's Dominic Calvert-Lewin for Everton. Now, the Mirror have, have said that Arsenal are making, signing him a priority for this summer. Now, what do you think of this signing? Would this be perfect for Arteta's system? Um... So my, my issue with DCL is not the stylistic side of things. Um, it's more the, the goal scoring. I think um, if you're a striker, you need to score goals. And I think stylistically, he could he could work really well. I think he'd be able to hold the ball up, which is what Arteta wants. He's good in the air for those crosses. Um, decent with his feet, but not great in terms of link-up play, I'd say. But um, if you, I just think when you compare him to the strikers that the other big teams have. I don't think Calvert-Lewin is necessarily on that level. Maybe he could go up a level by coming to Arsenal, being around better players, but 
I personally, I think there's there's better players out there to fill the Arsenal number nine uh, conundrum right now. I know lots of people are fans of Calvert Lewin, but I just he's never done it for a full season at Premier League level. And Arsenal are a team that can afford to have another player who's a centre forward um, not delivering the goods. They they need instant sort of rewards and instant um, what's the word I'm looking for? Instant return on their investment and. I don't know if DCL would offer that. As much as I think he's a great player and I think he'd be good for the team around him, I don't quite know if he's got that goal-scoring prowess that Arsenal need. Mm, yeah, I do see what you're saying. I fully agree with you. I think his injury concerns as well also to factor yeah. in because Arsenal do have problems with injuries. And right now, DCL hasn't really played at all this season. He started the season well, did get a few goals, but he went off and got injured. So you did mention that there'll be better strikers out there, Kaya. So who would you prefer instead of... Put you on a spot here. Who would you prefer instead yeah, of DCL? That's fair. Um, so let's let's go through. Who are the options? You've got um, players like who've been linked. Uh, Luka Jovic has been linked. I think mm-hmm. that would be a terrible signing. I think I think he doesn't yeah. work hard enough. I think he's just a penalty box striker. It'd just be a bad man all over again, but without the personality and leadership and likability. So I think that would be a bad signing. Um, I don't quite get the hype around Dusan Blajevic. Obviously, he scores goals, which is what I was complaining that Calvert-Lewin doesn't do. But in terms of... <laughs> Um, the rest of this game, I don't, I don't, I'm not fully convinced. Um, a player who I do like is Darwin Nunez at Benfica. I think okay. he's pretty good, but again, I, I've only seen brief glimpses of him. I just think stylistically, he seems to fit. He's, he's decent in the air. He's pretty quick. Um, good with his feet and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's a really hard scouting mission, and I'm 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 glad that I'm not the person in charge of having to make that because it's a massive decision that could define the way Arsenal play. For years to come, your your team is it's, just, it's an old saying, but your team's only as good as your forwards. So it's really important that Mikel Arteta gets it right. And if you look at the signings he's made throughout the squad, um, the only area where he hasn't really bought any players is the forward positions. So I would argue that um, given his track record of getting it right for the rest of the squads, hopefully him, Edu, uh, Richard Garlic, and all the other guys behind the scenes doing the transfers will be able to get it right going forward for the number nine position. Yeah, Darwin Nunez is definitely a good option. I did not even think of that, but that is that was a striker I'd like to have. I'd like to show also Isaac or uh, Jonathan. Yeah, uh, yeah. Isaac, yeah, or Jonathan David from uh, Lille. They've been doing very yeah, well yeah. as well. So they are, they are also interesting strikers, alternatives to Calvert-Lewin. But with Lacazette and Enketcher going, maybe we'll need two strikers, Kyle. We could bring in a smaller striker. So maybe with less bit of money, Emmanuel Dennis will be cheap from Watford, as our friend from the Chelsea side, Jay McIntosh, loved to say. But would you think, would you suggest bringing in two forwards or just, just the one for the summer? Just the one. We've got Flo Balogun. Um, he's fantastic. Mm. He scores so many goals in the under-23s. I think if you buy two forwards after having given him a contract extension, what message does that send to all the young hairlenders coming through right now, you need to be giving these young guys chances because they've proven that if you give them the opportunities, they will take them. Look at Saka, look at Smith Rowe, look at Maitland Niles this season. Not just hairlenders, young guys in general across the team. They're the ones who are performing right now. It's not it's not the youngsters who aren't performing, it's the experienced guys who aren't doing doing the what Arsenal need right now. So I'd love to see Flo Balogun go alone in January, do really well, and uh, hopefully him come back and then be that sort of third-choice striker, maybe even second-choice striker next season. Yeah, of course. I want to touch on that quickly with Balogun and Enketia. What was, for me, I was confused when Enketia came on against Manchester United because, of course, we have Nicola Pepe, who seems now, I don't know what the future is for him, but with Enketia constantly coming on, do you think this has affected, this is affecting Balogun's confidence, thinking, oh, maybe I can't break into this first team squad because why am I not on the bench and why is Enketia on the bench who is set to leave the club in the summer, apparently? So Chris Wheatley, our colleague um, here at Football.London, has said that um, Flo Balogun is 
open to a move in January. Lots of teams have in, been shown interest in coming in for him on loan. So I, I don't think he's affected confidence-wise. If you look at how he's scoring goals in the under-23s, it's it's unbelievable the rate at which he scores goals. He's, he's a really level-headed guy um, from what I hear from people around the club. Um, they really speak very highly of him. And I think it's just a case of if he's not playing at all in the first team, then they're trying to get minutes under his belt at under-23 level. And he's shown he's a bit too good for that now. So I think, I mean, Mikel Arteta, I actually asked Mikel Arteta about this in a press conference and he said that... Um, They'll reassess his situation in December, which is, I guess, now. So they'll start to think about what um, what they're going to do with him in January. I'd be shocked if he doesn't go out on loan. For me, it's just a question of when in January he goes out on loan. Because if he leaves at the start of January, I think that'd be good for him because he'll get more games under his belt at senior level. But then, obviously, Aubameyang and Pepe going away, does Abam- does Flo Balogun need to stay around just in case something happens to one of Lacazette or Nketiah? I don't know. Um, but, sorry, your original question was uh, about Nketiah getting minutes. I think that's not... The right decision um i think if he's leaving the club and he's made that decision to leave the club i think he's well within his rights too because realistically he's never going to get a chance to be the regular starting forward at arsenal and i don't personally think he's of the quality arsenal requires to be the regular center forward so but i don't think he should be playing ahead of someone like flo balligan i think that's the guy who you should be giving the minutes to because he's the future and Ketu is very soon to be the past and same goes for not bringing on nicolas pepe ahead of him it's strange i don't know Maybe something's happened in training, but that's pure speculation. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes to to make Arteta have gone full sort of full roundabout turn on um, Nicola Pepe because at the start of the season he was playing games. Towards the end of last season he was playing games, scoring goals, and something's happened since Crystal Palace. He's he's hardly played at all, so I don't really know what what he's not doing or what he is doing wrong. But um, personally, I think Pepe is a fantastic player and I would have brought him on at Old Trafford instead because I think yeah. he's more capable of producing a match-winning moment than either Lacazette or Nketiah. Um, I, I think Mikel Arteta made a lot of strange decisions on Thursday and we could do a whole a whole other show about all the, <laughs> all the strange decisions he made there. Yeah, I think the final question is for this for this show really is about Pepe and what do you think, what is going on? Do you think Pepe's career is done here now because he really should have come on against Manchester United. He also didn't get minutes against Newcastle. Martinelli got the got the nod and Pepe has scored against Everton. He scored the penalty in the past at Goodison Park. So is Pepe done or does he have a chance to revitalise his Arsenal career? I'm always wary of saying Arsenal players are done because we thought AZ Maitland-Niles was done. Mm. Um, we thought Gabriel Martinelli was done. Um, some people were saying he's going to leave permanently. That obviously didn't end up happening. Um, people are now saying Kieran Tierney's done. Um, it's it's just not true. People are yeah. I think people are a bit too quick sometimes to 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 jump to those conclusions. My thing with Pepe is he's he's had similar things like this before. Literally this time last season was when he wasn't getting in the team at all. You think back to that Leeds game. He only started I think one game in the Premier League in those first sort of ten or ten or so games, and then. Around Christmas, he sort of started getting back in the team and we all thought he might leave in January, last January. Um, that didn't end up happening. And then the second half of the season, he became really important. So I don't think Mikel Arteta is the biggest fan in the world of his. Um, just just looking at sort of the way he selects the team, like you were saying before there, Martinelli came on ahead of him, Lacazette ahead of him and Ketia ahead of him. They all seem to be ahead of him in the packing order. But um, what I would say is, I don't think Arsenal can sell him right now. I don't know who's got the money to pay for what um, Arsenal would want for Nicola Pepe because they can't let him go for less than thirty million. Realistically, that would be a terrible look for the club. Um, but no one wants to match his wages. No one wants to take a risk because signing Pepe is a risk. You don't know what you're going to get week in week out. And 
you're looking around, no one's going to buy him from a Premier League team. Maybe someone like Newcastle might be convinced, but even that's a bit of a risk. We don't know what their situation is really. Um, you look to France, no one can really afford him there. Italy, no. The whole of La Liga seems to be broke right now, so no again. Um, so yeah, I just I can't see how Arsenal are going to sell him. Um, he's came for £72 million on huge wages, so that's very difficult to shift, even if he isn't someone who's in Mikel Arteta's long-term plan. So he's here to stay. I think he'll definitely be here till the end of the season, unless something drastic happens in January. And it's up to him now to, to play his way back into, into the first team, because there's clearly something he's not doing that Mikel Arteta wants him to do. And he needs to start producing. Yeah, because we have no choice but to stick with Pepe. And I, and I am a fan of Pepe. It's just, he's just inconsistent. He has too much inconsistency to his game, yeah. which he needs to sort out because there is talent there. It's clear to see. He just doesn't show it on a, on a regular basis, which is his issue. And I think maybe that could be a reason why Arteta doesn't favour him in the starter lineup. But Kaya, before we end the show, of course, I have to do the question of your prediction for the game against Everton on Monday. What do you think? Arsenal win, finally, away from home? Well, I thought I'd got away with it. Um... <laughs> I predicted not to win at Old Trafford on Thursday and that didn't really work out too well, but I'm hoping I'm not a jinx. I'm going to say a win for Arsenal again. I don't think they should concede to this Everton team. I think they're really poor in attack. The only player who I'd be scared of is Damari Gray. I know Andres Townsend can hit them for about 50 yards away and find the net, but um, beyond that, I don't think they've got too much. So let's go 2-0 to the Arsenal. 2-0 to the Arsenal. Let's hope you're right. I'll follow you. I'll go over 1-0 Arsenal. Aubameyang scruffy goal just to Maybe. get the confidence going again. We'd but we shall see. We'd love one of them. <laughs> well, we can pray. We can pray. But Kaya, thank you, mate, for joining the show. It's been great having you. Thank you. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Guys, make sure you like and subscribe to the Arsenal Way. Also, follow Kayo on Twitter at Kaya Kainak and me as well at BaileyKio underscore. We'll be coming with you with more episodes in the future, of course, and more episodes every day, more episodes of different shows, of course. So make sure you keep following us down the Arsenal Way. Oh!